The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Ben Levison, Deputy Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today to learn more about what's happening with the economy and the markets. My guests today are Barron's senior writers, Nicholas Jasinski and Al Root. And we're going to discuss everything from the market, sectors, and of course, Tesla and EV stocks. So welcome, Al and Nick. It's great to have you both on Barron's Live. Hey, Ben. Hello, Ben. Hello, Nick. All right. So let's get things started. On Friday, we had a great rally, even though this November payrolls report came in way too hot. Um, And the stock market initially sold off, finished uh, basically flat, great week. And now we're back to uh, um, selling again. So, Nick, I'm going to ask you, what do you make about this back and forth going on in the market around this payrolls number? And has the stock market stopped worrying about the Fed? Uh, You know, Ben, right now the market is fighting the Fed. The, the equity market in particular, not, not not just in terms of the job report on Friday, but also, I mean, if you remember last Wednesday, Chairman Powell gave a speech and the reaction in the market was extremely bullish. The S&P 500 shot up 3% that afternoon. Um, so Powell and other officials, they've been pretty clear that their plan is to raise the Fed funds rate to somewhere probably around 5%, which is about a point above where it is now, and then hold that rate there for some time. And their view is that that's what's necessary to bring down inflation. Powell has explicitly linked a softening job market um, to a path to lower inflation. That's explained by the Phillips curve for the economists out there listening. Um, but in the jobs report on Friday, not only did the economy add more jobs than expected in November, the wage gains also accelerated. Average hourly earnings were up, uh, let me see here, 0.6% in the month, which was the fastest rate of monthly wage growth since January. That can't so, be good for inflation. I mean, th- there has been a deceleration in overall inflation in recent months, but a lot of that has come from oil and commodities prices coming down plus in some other categories like airfare and used cars. But wages, which are a lot stickier, people who are getting raises now aren't going to get give back their pay next year. Um, those have been accelerating, in fact, and we're probably going to get another big bump in January when some annual raises kick in. Um, so the pronouncements from Fed officials, the incoming economic data, all of that supports this higher for longer rate environment. But equities aren't trading like that with the S&P 500 at 4,000, given the outlook for earnings. And the futures market, um, which prices in, which is basically uh, what traders expect Fed funds rates to be in the future, um, that's pricing in rate cuts in the second half of 2023. So to answer your question, Ben, markets aren't worried about the Fed right now, but something has to break. Either the Fed has to pivot strongly next year or prices need to come down. Yeah, I was I was reading a Bank of America note this morning who's arguing because the, the market refuses to buy into this idea that rates will stay high, higher for longer, that the Fed's actually have to raise rates even higher than the market is expecting it right now, um, which I found uh, kind of scary in its own way. Yeah, um, I mean, the, the, the rally in stocks and bonds, that, that's working against the Fed's uh, tightening. So, so uh, you're absolutely right. And so... Al, we're going to get mm-hmm. the Fed's December meeting um, next week. That uh, They'll make the announcement next Wednesday. We're going to have uh, PPI um, is going to come out this Friday. We're going to get yep. CPI next Wednesday. What are those numbers supposed to show? And what do you think they're going to mean for the Fed? Um, 
so PPI, I love uh, the PPI because I'm, I'm industrial, Al, right? And, and that's what my companies are paying for prices. That's the producer price index. So, you know, it, in some regards, it's a, it's a leading indicator for CPI. Um, you know, slowing PPI would be good for CPI down the road. Uh, but, you know, from an earnings perspective, strong, strong, strong producer prices have definitely showed up in, in sales growth. Of industrial companies and things like that we can get in that a little bit later but nobody really cares about the the cpi except uh probably me uh the ppi except probably me so cpi is a much bigger deal mm-hmm. now to you know the next point like we've had four consecutive months of of declining cpi so we can pop the short pop the champagne right we we are supposed to have our fifth consecutive month of of decelerating inflation it's still about seven and a half percent but that's down from seven eight in october so people look out for 7.5%. If it's worse than 7.5%, if it's like back to 8%, that's bad news for markets. Below 7.5% is good news for markets. And, you know, it's just all this game about, you know, if it's lower, then, you know, maybe the Fed doesn't have to be as hawkish. And um, so then maybe, you know, in Nick's scenario, it breaks uh, to the positive direction. And then if it's, you know, hotter than expected, then look out. Yeah, and what does this mean for the for the I mean for the Fed? Because uh, you know, I, I think you were telling me that the the Fed has basically been saying the exact same thing for months, yeah. right? And it, it's it's more that how the market has been trying to position around that that and you know had that that's been changing. Yeah, like to to, to Nick's earlier point, like uh, you know, we've been fighting the Fed. You know, it's been a Fed dominated year, right? Interest rate rises are sort of I think probably at least two thirds of or 75% of every stock's returns. And like, I, I don't feel, I was saying this, I, I felt like Jerome Powell has said the exact same thing for three straight months, you know, three months ago, or, you know, three cycles ago, you know, stocks went down on it. And then the last two cycles, stocks went up on it. The only explanation I can imagine is, it's just like time has moved forward. So now we're, you know, by, by definition, we're closer to the peak in rates, mm-hmm. just because time is higher. And so now, you know, everybody's like, aha, I see the peak. So then, you know, we're all trying to pick the bottom, but, but, uh, if, if the data doesn't come in, then this will be a very painful head fake rally. Yeah. And, and one of the things I've been wondering is just, uh, about the, the state of the economy. I know that the, you know, you look at the Atlanta feds GBDP now tool, which I, I like to look at cause it kind of updates GDP for, um, in, in real time to the economic uh, releases, but it's pointing to, 2.8% growth during the fourth quarter, which is great, but that's down from a reading of over 4% just a few weeks ago. And we're also seeing the ISM manufacturing index dropped under 50 for the first time, and that suggests mm-hmm. that manufacturing activity is contracting. Nick, where does it, all this put the economy right now, particularly amidst the worries of a recession? Uh, so, I mean, the, the labor market really is the standout. That's it's the uh, where you're seeing pain is in the more um, how, uh, interest rate sensitive areas of the economy, housing, um, in particular, that's due to higher interest rates, which take up mortgage rates and make homes more expensive. So there's some slowing there. Um, Barron's cover story this past weekend goes pretty deep into the state of the housing market in detail. So I encourage listeners to check that out. Um, you mentioned the, the ISM manufacturing index. The, the goods producing sectors are also impacted by higher rates, um, makes it more expensive for businesses to borrow to invest in goods. Um, but also it has to do with demand from abroad. The U.S. dollar has surged this year, and that, that makes U.S. exports more expensive for foreign buyers, which decreases demand. And there's also some some economic weakness in China, Europe, the U.K. economies. Um, so that's what's showing up in the ISM manufacturing index that you mentioned. 
Um, but really, I mean, the jobs market, it's in strong shape. Unemployment is at 3.7%. The number of jobs created every month is well above population growth. Um, and consumers are also in pretty good shape financially. They're, they're still have above average savings, um, lower credit card balances and, and all of that. Um, so there's plenty of buffer in, in uh, consumers' ability to spend in the event of that labor market starting to weaken. Um, and remember, consumption is two thirds of US GDP. So I think we have at least a couple more quarters of decent real GDP growth driven by the, the consumer. Um, and I, I would be more worried about the second half of 2023 when if the Fed has its way, we could have a weaker job market, maybe even some job losses. By that point, savings may be more stretched. Um, but for right now, this quarter or next quarter, I'm not worried about a recession. Um, well, that's good to hear. And I guess, uh, Al, you know, it's, the, the strength of the economy and earnings aren't always the same thing. You can, uh, mm -hmm. but oftentimes they, they, they are. Um, so as we look at this economy, we just finished up earnings season. How did it go? And what do you think earnings are going to look like for next quarter? Well, you know, the funny thing is it didn't go as well as and this is one of those you know the market's forward looking you know the bad news is good news type you know what are we trying to predict type scenarios so it didn't go as well as prior quarters so the number of companies that beat earnings estimates still about 70 percent, but that's down remember everybody beats estimates meeting estimates is a disaster um so the number of companies beating estimates were down the amount by which companies were beating estimates was was down Right now, there's, you know, there's some skew in there from companies that report large losses, but that always happens to some extent. You know, so companies were only beating uh, earnings estimates by about 2%. I'm talking about the S&P 500, right? So you aggregate right. it all up, you get this idea of what the economy is looking like. It looks like things are slowing. Now, the other interesting little tidbit is uh, sales growth for the S&P 500 is above 10% year over year again. That's like the seventh consecutive quarter of that. So, you know, that's basically coming off pandemic lows, but there's like inflation in there because, you know, the inflation me and you pay is sales for some company out there. Um, but earnings aren't quite keeping up, right? So you have a little bit of slowness um, in the numbers. So what do you think for, for Q4? You know, past his prologue, we are still going to see that margin squeeze, right? Uh, we're still going to see companies... Uh, charging more, but paying more for things. Labor's getting more expensive. Um, so we're going to, that's going to be a theme, right? And then how companies manage that spread heading into 2023 is probably going to go a long way in determining how they do. Now, the consumer economy, like if you look at the worst performing sectors from an earnings and an earnings revision standpoint, so earnings revision, company said something in Q3, Mm -hmm. And everybody took all that and redid their numbers and published new consensus estimates. The worst ones are, uh, or one of the worst ones, financials and consumer discretionary, right? It's kind of like what we already know, right? We all, all are making our dollars stretch a little more. So consumer discretionary, that's like cars, you know, clothing, uh, Nikes, whatever. You know, the, the estimates for those companies are coming down. Right, we're spending Listen, our money on, yeah. on food and other things, or we're waiting for the for our Nikes to get marked down a bunch. Right, and and the the estimates for the industrial or cyclical companies aren't coming down nearly as much, and so we have this interesting little thing of the industrial economy is doing a little bit better than the consumer economy, and that that's for a variety of reasons. But um, you know, we have infrastructure spending and all this sort of thing. So you know, that's what y'all should be looking for in Q four, right? 
what about this, you know, margins, given the inflation and cost inflation and price inflation that's going on? And then, you know, how weak is the U.S. consumer and who is it going to hit? That's going to be the theme for Q4 and early into 23. Okay. Well, we're talking about uh, as if uh, the earnings season is already over. And I don't know if this is like, uh, you know, we still have some companies coming out. Maybe they're, uh, you know, they're the ones that are kind of in between really the earnings seasons in some ways. But Mm -hmm. I want to talk about a few of them. Um, The first one I want to talk about is a company where the earnings, I'm guessing, probably don't matter. That's GameStop. Nick, what's going on there? <laughs> yeah. Um, the GameStop reports on Wednesday, like you said, it's probably not news to our listeners that this isn't really a stock that trades on fundamentals. Um, but anyway, the company is reported to is expected to lose 28 cents per share in the quarter, which is for August, September, October. That's why they're reporting later now, um, which would be better than a 35 cent per share loss in the same period last year. Um, sales are forecast to be up about 4% to $1.3 billion, um, up 4%, but that's in a year where inflation has been close to 8%. Um, so not super great on the top line or the bottom line. Management doesn't even report same store sales uh, anymore. Um, I should also say there are only three analysts who cover the stock. Um, and as far out as their forecasts go, the consensus is for losses every year through 2025. Um, the, the company has all kinds of initiatives. I hear snickering there from someone. Is that, is that a bad thing or a good thing? I'm not sure. Uh, hard to say with GameStop. Um, yeah. They have all kinds of initiatives they're working on to try to move away from that bricks and mortar video game retail roots. In a, I mean, it's practically, it's a completely digital market for video games. Um, there's a, it has an NFT pro- platform. Um, they were also, I should say, in September, they announced that they were going to be the official retail partner of FTX. That's the bankrupt crypto exchange, whatever that means to be the official retail partner of them. And I'm sure that that partnership is going great now that they're bankrupt. Um, but overall, as GameStop, the stock is down about 30% year to date. Um, it's completely set out the rally since October in the broader market. And there's just less appetite for these kind of speculative names when interest rates are rising, liquidity is flowing out of the market. Um, GameStop, it's a trading vehicle that's divorced from fundamentals. There's not much else to say about it. Yeah, I mean, it, and it's kind of not even becoming a trading vehicle anymore. Just by looking at the chart, you have a, you know, a couple, you know, one or two day spikes, and then just a lot of nothing uh, in between. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been stuck between twenty five and thirty since uh, September for the most part, with you know, a couple little uh, spikes uh, or spikes up and down along the way. Um, in some ways, it seems yeah, like after it's the. Uh, after its last earnings in September, um, the loss was less than expected, and the stock shot up double digits that day and then gave it all back in the next two days after that. So it's a, um, so you have these huge moves, but they don't stick. Right. Um, yeah. In some ways it's, it's, it's gotten boring. Um, and so uh, let's go on to uh, Costco. They're reporting this week as well. Al, what's happening there? Yep. And I should uh, add one thing about GameStop and my snickering. I don't know anything about GameStop. So don't, the snickering is not investment advice. Um, <laughs> But Costco, there's real business, uh, class of the retail industry. So, uh, you know, there's always the company-specific story and then what's going on broadly speaking. Uh, earnings are expected to go up. They're expected to do about uh, $3.12 versus two ninety seven from a year ago. Sales are supposed to be up uh, to about $58 billion from $50 billion. So that's another one of those inflation um, type stories. Now, this, you know, Costco is a is a great stock. It trades at like 30 times earnings, which is better than a lot of retailers. It's down about 14% this year. Uh, so you think, okay, that's in line with the market. That's better than a lot of retailers. Like the average retailer is down about 25%. Uh, 
you guys can check out the XRT if you want to look at uh, retail ETFs. But discounters and like wholesalers are doing better, right? Like Dollar General, Walmart, and this is kind of like the, um, you know, the trade in terms of customers getting a little more uh, conservative. You know, Walmart's and Dollar Generals do better. Costco should fall in that, but it's it's gone. It's it's had a bit of a of a, a, a more difficult year, and I think that if you get right down to it, it's just about valuation. Uh, it's expensive. It's expensive relative to other retailers, and I think that's why the stock is down. Now, uh, when they report results and same store sales and they give outlooks and people talk about the consumer, it'll just be it'll be about, uh, you know, the health of the U.S. consumer. Uh, where are they seeing weakness? What categories are strong? What categories aren't? And, um, you know, what's the outlook for memberships for them? You know, I, are they growing? Is, 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 a, is a difficult environment good for membership growth for them or, or not? So I think it'll it'll fall with Costco. It'll fall in the, the consumer inflation theme. And then uh, does it matter that they're that they're not raising prices on hot dogs? Oh, you know what? It would be so great if they would raise the price for the hot dog because that would just be like the the retail story of the year. How crazy would that be? It would literally. I think it would be the retail story of the year. Hot dog prices go up. I mean, that would like have you know political implications. But what is it? Still a buck fifty or something for your hot dog and coke? And they said they will never raise it. That's what they've said. Somebody should do like the margin impact. Right. The, what does that do for the bottom line? That and the yeah. rotisserie chickens. The margin impact. We need an activist investor to say, this is ridiculous. You're not taking care of shareholders. The hot dog should be two bucks. Uh, all right. Let's move on to the next one. Uh, Al, um, what, what's going on with Broadcom? Broadcom. So this is one of the ones. So the reason this is reporting, it's the fiscal year end, right? So uh, that's sort of good because maybe they'll talk about the next year, which will give investors some indication of what uh, 2023 looks like. Now, they always got a quarter ahead for sales, so I don't know. Eh, I, you know, they'll talk about the, the, the coming year, but it'll be more about the next quarter. But it's a giant tech player, right? One of the biggest semiconductor companies in the world also have a lot of tech business. Um, uh, fun fact, we'll do the fun fact now. Uh, JP Morgan expects them to raise their dividend to $19 a share. So if you want a nice big uh, annually, so if you want a nice big fat dividend check, uh, buy some uh, buy some uh, Broadcom. Now it's a $535 stock. So it's about a three and a half percent yield. So, but still $19 in dividends sounds fun. Um, earnings are up. It's supposed to be about 10 bucks up from about eight bucks a year ago. Um, you know, the guide is something to watch uh, for the first quarter. People expect about 8.9 billion in, in fiscal first quarter sales. That's this quarter. Again, remember the fiscal year ends. Yeah. So that point- seems pretty amazing that uh, they're, they're predicting rising, uh, rising earnings given uh, I guess the, t- the weakness in tech. Well, there's two things, right? Semis, semis is still about 75% of their sales and semi prices, right? We've had the semiconductor shortage forever and we've had this incredible growth in um, like cloud data centers and things like that and cars and everything's using more chips. So the semi business uh, is still growing for them and is pretty good. Now, you know, we had, there was, you know, we had like earnings weakness at Microsoft and Amazon because cloud growth decelerated. But it's always partly the starting point. Like Broadcom trades at you know thirteen times earnings. Uh, you know Microsoft and and Amazon trade much higher than that as a multiple of earnings. So you know they're still seeing growth. Now it might be decelerating growth, but the semi business is in decent shape. And then like the IT services business and the software business, that's seeing weakness. And and so what you're going to look for. So there's obviously the the Broadcom specific stuff. But what you're going to look for there, what I'm going to look for there 
is like IT spending, right? They'll make some broad comment on, you know, IT spending at companies. Now you would expect it to be slightly weak, right? All we hear about is, you know, layoffs at, you know, corporations, you know, um, you know, big tech companies and things like that. And, and maybe all of us, are, you know, I, I have endless friends who've canceled like year end travel because their businesses are saying, you know what, stop traveling. We're trying to save money into the year end. So you would expect, I would expect to hear something like IT CapEx weakness. That's not great, but you know, if that's the expectation, it just depends on how bad it is or if it's a little better than feared. So that's, that's Broadcom. All right. And then one last company, um, Toll Brothers is going to be reporting. Um, housing, as we know, has just been not great. Um, maybe that's an understatement. Housing stocks have had a tough time too. Nick, what's happening there? Yeah, this is one of the, the few stocks in the market that the actual fundamentals of the stock are impacted by interest rates, um, not just the, the multiple that investors put on the stock. Um, so the stock is down 34% this year, although it's up almost, uh, let's see, 20% from its June low. Um, so for the, the quarter that's going to, they report the numbers on Tuesday after the close and the earnings call is on Wednesday morning. Um, which is kind of funny how they do it that way. Um, again, I'll point our listeners to our latest cover story for a macro review on the housing market. Um, in a sidebar to that, Andrew Berry covered the outlook for housing stocks, um, and he actually singled out Toll Brothers. They're, they're uh, among the home builders of the most focused on upscale housing. Um, the, uh, their average uh, home price is about a million dollars um, against some 400000 for the industry uh, broadly, um, and a lot of their buyers pay in cash. Um, so... They, they suffer, they're a little less sensitive to interest rates in that way because they're uh, um, selling homes with a lot of equity and um, and they're they're selling to those more affluent buyers who are a little, maybe a little bit less concerned about affordability. Yeah, um, I, mean, I, mean, I, they, I think I heard that uh, their average house sells for something like a million dollars compared to something like uh, under 500,000 for most of the other home builders. So uh, yeah, yeah, they're really exactly not targeting right. the uh, the first time home buyer, are they? Right. Um, so, so I would say for, for the for the group, the biggest potential near term positive boost would be a Fed pivot, um, again, because that really impacts the fundamentals. Um, but over the long term, you still have this trend of, of demographics, the millennial generation, the largest generation since the baby boomers is aging into their home buying years. Um, you have this shortage of housing that's hasn't really been built in, in a, to keep up with population growth since the financial crisis. Um, so there are some long term positives for the housing market. Um, in the near term, you just need to get through this 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 bump in the in the market, and um, chances are the stocks are going to turn up sooner than the the housing market starts to improve because investors will be looking ahead to that improvement. Um, but I'm not sure if we're there yet. Okay, um, sounds good. Well, we've had a question from Bruce. Uh, he's looking out uh, one year, and he's wondering what sectors look best for investment returns. Um, and so I thought we could uh, talk um, a little bit about, uh, you know, what the sectors are doing now and uh, maybe a little bit about what our outlook is for them. So why don't we start with industrials? What struck me um, is that, Nick, you mentioned that the uh, the ISO manufacturing, I think that dropped below 50. Um, but industrial stocks have been doing great. So, Al, I'm curious, what's going on there and can industrial stocks keep it up? Uh, two things, right? Uh, so do I think industrial stocks can continue to work? Yes. Um, I think that the industrial economy is in better shape than the consumer economy. Um, it, it just as a data point, right? We, we have, uh, we have legislation, we have infrastructure spending, all this sort of stuff. Uh, we have uh, chips act, 
you know, uh, Melius Research added up all the projects related to all this uh, infrastructure uh, type spending, electric vehicles, battery plants from auto companies. You know, they came up with 260 billion in capital spending that's, you know, dedicated to the U.S. to improve our manufacturing footprint. That's great news. Two, 260 billion is real money. Uh, Non-res construction in the U.S. is about 800 billion a year. So, um, you know, that 260 is over multiple years, but you just get a sense of, you know, the kind of boost to growth that, you know, this manufacturing renaissance can have uh, on America. So that's a good thing, right? That's a good thing. Um, uh, now, uh, everybody seemed to realize this all at once, right? Like uh, General Electric, I know Ben and I talk about that one, but that's, that's a stock that everybody likes to follow. It's up of almost 40% from its October lows, right? So, you know, this market doesn't give you a chance to think. So industrials went from being uh, at a discount to the market to now they're a premium to the market. So, you know, I get to play both sides here. So can they continue to work? Yes, the outlook's good. The outlook's probably better, relatively speaking, than other uh, sectors of the economy for some of the reasons I outlined. Now they're a little bit more expensive. So that means you have to be picky and choosy and all that sort of stuff. Um, but, but I still like industrials. Now, the other one that I think about all the time is cars, right? I'm industrials and cars, smokestacks and wheels. You know, these stocks have been badly beaten up and it's just a question of uh, it, it's not an easy call because, you know, they're down 30 uh, percent. They're basically producing near record profits. Nobody wants to pay for those. Mm -hmm. uh, we might be going into a recession, but car volumes might actually grow, go up because we've been uh, constrained on the production side since the since the chip shortage and since COVID. So, you know, rising sales in a recession, that is that's new for all of us. So good luck with that one. All right. Well, let's go on to Nick. Uh, what do you make for the energy sector? Um, I like the energy stocks for, for the next year. It's a perfect inflation and geopolitical hedge. Um, oil prices, the price of the commodity is basically flat over the past year, up about two bucks a barrel since the start of 2022. Um, but to, we're around $79 a barrel right now in the U.S. That's still high enough for ample free cash flow from, from all the uh, oil and gas producers. Um, lots of the, that over the last year was sent towards paying down debt. Balance sheets are in great shape across the industry now. And over the coming year, a lot of those returns are going to flow to equity investors in the form of dividends and buybacks. Um, and the valuations are, are far from demanding at the moment. So I'm, I'm a fan of energy stocks. And you're also a fan of healthcare, right? Yes, that's kind of the other end of the, the barbell, you could say. Um, that's the cheapest of the defensive sectors right now versus utilities and consumer staples. Um, there you have the hedge against a recession. People still need to go to the doctor. They still need to take their medications, even if it's a recession. Um, and then you have this long-term tailwind. There's actually growth in the sector, given demographics, aging population that needs more health care. Um, there's also some real innovation going into new products and services and, and treatments. Um, so actually having growth is important when interest rates are 5% and you don't get that in utilities or other defensive sectors. Um, which should also lead to dividend growth from healthcare stocks. That's another plus. It's not just a, a bond proxy. So I like healthcare as, a, as kind of a defensive end of the portfolio. Okay. Um, and I had a question come in from uh, one of our listeners, from Richard. Uh, he asked, are small caps the one to watch uh, this coming year? I'm going to throw that out to both of you. Any thoughts? Um, I talk more, so I go first. Uh, read Jack Howe's column this week in streetwise um there's some relatively attractive valuations to be had in small capitalization stocks uh they got to a relatively big discount uh, versus their larger 
brethren and sistren. I don't think that's right. Siblings. And uh, so, you know, uh, Bank of America was something that Jack cited. Uh, that podcast and call on my phone very helpful. So, you know, there seems to be some um, uh, momentum or uh, good reason to buy small cap stocks. And then, you know, you, you have your your uh, your ETFs and indices, so you don't have to go through all these individual small companies figure out which ones you like the best. Nick. Um, yeah, the, the, the valuation case is certainly there for, for small caps. Um, I would stick to quality, which different investors define differently, but, but, um, given we are having higher rates, um, a lot of small caps tend to be more reliant on, on debt financing than, than larger companies and pay higher rates. Um, and if we do get a, a some shakier economic times, then that could put some, put some pressure on them. Um, so there are some ETFs that, that are, uh, small cap quality. Um, there's and, a and even one. Just... Oh, sorry, X, I was just going to give the ticker XSHQ is one S&P small cap quality ETF. Um, yeah, and, I, and I was like looking just uh, at the S&P 600, the small cap 600 versus the Russell 2000, because it has just a higher bar to get into that index than uh, the mm-hmm. Russell does. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're getting, we're almost out of time here. Um, I, ha- I have to get this question out here. Uh, Lee asked, I'm just going to read this. Al, you are the Tesla expert, and I know this is a tough question, but if one has a three-year horizon, is Tesla a buy at today's price, in your opinion? Barron's has opined lately that comp- competitors are catching up with Tesla somewhat on EVs. Um, so, Al, what do you think? Um, I think uh, three or four things. I'll do it quickly. Uh, I think that the stock has been depressed by about 20 percentage points relative to the market because of, of Mr. Musk's behavior at Twitter. I think we could demonstrate that numerically versus uh, uh, feelings. So, um, and the stock's about 50% lower uh, from uh, uh, 52 week highs. So it's it's 50% off. Um, I do think that they will be able to grow volumes for, you know, into 2025 at close to 40 or 50%, like their long-term goal is, you know, so that's, that's basically 3 million cars by the end of 2025. They have capacity installed for probably 2.1, 2.2 million. So they're definitely on their way there. Um, you know, you have to take this with a grain of salt because by virtue of being less negative Tesla uh, uh, amongst um, some of my value uh, peers, um, that makes me the relative bull. So at, I'm going to say like at, you know, 150, you know, it's 180-ish. It's been hanging out around 180 since this whole Twitter debacle happened. Um, I do think it is... Uh, the risk reward is favorable to quote um, a couple of recent upgrades and positive notes from Wall Street. So I am a, a, a slightly uh, bigger Tesla bull. Now, the, here's the thing about Tesla. And I'll tell you an old story about um, what, a, what a growth manager. Uh, I say this story all the time. A growth manager that owned Tesla for many, many years. And he would always say that, you know, he, when he got expensive, he would sell a little. And when it got cheaper, he would buy a little, but he was always, you know, in Tesla because he believed in it, believed in the vision. He was always overweight Tesla. So you don't have to take this, this call and say, ha ha, Al said it's a buy for three years. I'm going to take my house, leverage it and become, you know, the next Tesla heir. You can do things incrementally. And I think uh, if you're positively disposed to Tesla, uh, I would be more positively disposed this time. Now, that's not a Weasley saying, like, I can't go out and buy Tesla. We don't do that. But, uh, you know, in this magical world where I, I manage money, I would, uh, you know, I would be adding, I would always be sort of a market weight Tesla. And right now I would be above market weight. 
Yeah, I mean, one of those things that uh, we rarely talk about, um, and maybe we should talk more about, is that you know we 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 always hear buys and sells and things, but rarely do we hear about uh, sizing of the of the position um, and managing risk that way. Um, and and I think it's it's a very important um, uh, way to 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 think about things. Is not just what am I buying, but how am I going to manage that risk? How am I going to size that right. position? Um, and exactly. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, Nick, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, on also, just well, just to that point. Also, there's, I mean, you don't have to go in and out of positions 100% all in one day. There's a lot to be said for averaging into positions, and and uh, um, if you have a percentage of your portfolio you want to allocate to Tesla, again, you don't have to do that all today. You can do that over the course of a month or a quarter, and and uh, then you're not so tied to what the the market is saying on one specific day. Um, so there's definitely a lot to be said for averaging in over time and, and averaging out as well. If things get right. expensive, you don't have to sell the whole position in one day. I, I say this too often, uh, this phrase back when I was trading and it's gotten, it's been so long since I was actually trading for a living that it probably isn't worth even saying anymore. But with that being said, one of the things that we always did is that, you know, if a stock went up a lot, you know, you could, you don't have to sell at all. You sell some. And that way, if it keeps going up, you're like, okay, I still have some, but if it drops, it's okay. I sold some. And I, and I think it's uh, that's a it's a good thing to uh, apply even to longer term positions, um, just to manage the uh, uh, manage the positions uh, when there are big moves that have happened. Um, there's so many. Okay. Sorry, on one thing. There's so many good uh, cliches. That one's kind of like you know nobody goes broke taking profits, right? That's a good old market adage. So you know some people are you know buy and hold forever, but you know that it's it's you can really affect your psychological well being. I agree with everything. Uh, my two esteemed colleagues said, right, you can affect your psychological well-being, uh, which is important for how you behave in the market by doing things like averaging and doing things like taking profits occasionally. It's not a bad idea, if you ask me. All right. Well, let's go with before. These are going to be our last uh, questions for this call. I want to know what you're thinking about 2023. Um, so, Al, you're first. Is this bear market over? Or are we in for more turmoil next year? Well, so... Um, the funny thing about that, right, Ben, you just said about trading, right? So I'm going to spin my narrative, but if things change, you know, don't come back to me in March when the world has ended and say, Hey, you said positive things. And the other thing I'll add is I tend to be optimistic. You always have to be aware of that when I'm, when I'm chatting. So my little narrative is I think that fed rates are going to peak in, um, you know, sometime in the first half of 23. Uh, and we may, may we well go into a recession. Uh, but that that means that, you know, eventually at some point in 2023, you know, the next rally is on. Right. Uh, we buy stocks at the bottom. We buy stocks when things are getting worse, not when things are going great. So all of this, you know, Fed induced volatility, I I um, I hope I think I, I pray uh, ends in the middle of 23. And we're, you know, not fighting the Fed. We're we're with the Fed in some sort of, you know, flat or modest rate reduction cycle. And that when we're exiting 2023, we feel better about the year. Um, I don't believe that we'll have, you know, a catastrophic uh, recession, all, you know, COVID, all our great financial crisis. So I'm in the, you know, modest recession, you know, Fed gets control of this inflation. We all get paid a little more prices settle down and we're feeling better by the end of next year. That's what I hope. All right. And Nick. Uh, so I'll say something brilliant, which no one has ever thought of before, which is that it depends on the economy. Um, 
but I actually think that some this may sound sound counterintuitive, but I think that actually the worst economic outcome may actually be better for the stock market by the end of 2023. I do have some reasoning for that, which I'll try to get through quickly. Um, so let's say we do get Alice Camp, that soft or softish landing. Inflation continues to trend down. We get a shallow recession. Um, the Fed doesn't need to pivot. It can hold rates more or less around 5% because inflation is coming down and the recession is not anything dramatic. Um, that keeps people wondering about if it's about to get worse, what's the Fed going to do? When is that pivot going to come? And it's not great for the multiple on stocks because you still have rates around 5%. Um, it's more or less neutral on earnings, nothing exciting. Versus if the Fed over tightens, we get a faster and sharper recession that drags down inflation. Um, and then the Fed sees it's going to cut to rescue the economy. Um, the fall in earnings next year will be greater, but then investors will say, We've gone through the worst of it. This is the the, the depth of the reception of the recession. Let's look ahead to 2024, and that's going to be a recovery year. And then they'll start pricing stocks based on that. Once the Fed cuts, liquidity is flowing again. Stocks get a higher multiple, and I think we actually end 2023 higher in that scenario. Um, but that would take a worse first half of the year and some turmoil to get there. Um, so, I guess I'm interested, Ben. What do you think? What do I think? Um... Right now, I'm leaning towards a scenario where the uh, the, the, the market gets kind of this uh, buys into this idea that the economy is going to be okay, that there's not going to be a recession, um, and then they're going to find out come March, April uh, that that's actually not true, and then it's going to be messy for a while. Um, but we'll see. That, that that that's subject to change over the next few weeks. We'll see. Yeah. You know what? Um, I, think, I think our uncertainty has actually helped investors, right? I think we basically painted three different scenarios. It's very uncertain. Yeah. <laughs> There's no consensus on where this is going. Well, and, and the thing to remember is always that we look, you know, looking out 10 years, stocks have almost always gone up once you include reinvested dividends. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they you, you, you ride through the pain as much as possible. I mean, I think uh, about, you know, a lot of what we talk about, it's it's in terms of you, you want to you can time your entries and exits better by, you know, by reweighting when stocks have gone up a ton or when PEs get really high, you can take down the, you know, you can rebalance or take some off, but you want to be in the market. Um, so Nick, one last question for you. Frank was asking the symbol of the small cap ETF you just mentioned. Um, so there's a couple, uh, the one that I just mentioned was um, XSHQ and that's an Invesco small cap. Uh, it's, it's based on the small, the S and P 600 index of small cap. And then it just takes the, what, what Invesco's three quality metrics are that's return on equity and lower financial leverage um, and something about earning stability as well. Okay. XSHQ. XSHQ. Um, all right. Well, great. That's all we have time for today. Uh, thanks for being here, Nick and Al. And thank you to the audience for tuning in. Join us again tomorrow when Barron's Associate Editor for Technology, Eric Savage, speaks with Mark Mahaney, Senior Managing Director and Head of the Internet Research Team at Evercore ISI. They're going to take a closer look at the state of the internet industry and stocks. And I should also say that if we didn't get to your question today, it's probably because we didn't know how to answer it great. Nothing was wrong with the questions. We'll try to tackle them in coming weeks. So thank you again for listening. Stay well and have a great day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.